Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi guys, and hello to Xers. Thanks for tuning in to episode number five of the 2X e-commerce show. On this show, I get to interview the founder and director of Dan Spars. They're a UK-based hot tub company. One of the few online e-tailers that actually sell affordable hot tubs. He has a mission statement of trying to get a hot tub into every UK home. He set up his business back in 2006. And the reason I brought him on this show to, to share his, his wisdom, so you speak, let's put it that way, is really, they've been really brilliant in PR. I haven't come across that many young companies that are doing PR the way he's doing it. The last time I came across Dance bars, believe it or not, was on bbc.co.uk. You know how tough it is to get on the BBC. Well, he did it and they got on there and they not only got on there, they got on there with a feature on celebrity endorsement, which they have a celebrity endorsement from Sophie Alex Bexer, a UK pop star. So he's going to share tips on PR and the second Eric's going to talk about is the impact of Facebook, you know, social media. The two channels his business is taken seriously above pay-per-click, which is what predominantly gets most of the business for him is PR and social media in terms of reach of social media and retargeting and, you know, audience development or, you know, what I call audience harvesting um, from episode two. But um, I love the way Dan was really prepared for this show. And how he fleshes and, you know, gives us stats on research, you know, really, really qualitative data. So let's listen in. And um, I really hope you like the show and you could, you know, get or learn a few things. Um, leave comments on, on the show notes, um, which would be on 2xecommerce.com. And um, yes, please tune in and enjoy the show. Hi, 2xers. Welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. And this this is the podcast where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online marketing experts who help uncover new e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help you, my fellow 2Xers and listeners, double specific e-commerce metrics in your online store. So if you're looking to double metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales, you're in the right place. On today's show, I is quite special because I've um, been following this um, gentleman for quite some time now, and I think it was it was about nine months ago I came across an article in an entrepreneurship website about some um, 16-year-old prodigy who started out a business and his growing business in quite a niche area and he sells um, spas, hot tubs. He's the founder of Dan Spas. He's in his 20s, award-winning website, award-winning business um, based off um, in, in Nottingham, I believe. And here's a gentleman by the name of um, Daniel Thomas. 
So I'm going to hand it over to Daniel now. Could you please take a few minutes to tell, to tell us about yourself and sure. um, your business, Dance Bars, please? Yeah, no worries. Well, thanks the, for the uh, for the many accolades. That was <laughs> not, not quite been described by that just yet, but that's uh, always good to hear. Um, yeah, Dance, Dance Bars is an online brand of hot tubs. Okay. Um, essentially, we want to be the brand responsible for sort of bringing the hot tubs to the masses. Um, so traditionally in this industry, hot tubs will sell for in the region of sort of five to 15,000. Uh, and we've sort of made the hot tub affordable. Um, and, and that's really what we do. So we provide the hot tubs throughout the UK. Uh, we've done a few sales internationally. We, we started quite a few years ago. Okay. Um, and it's uh, it's been growing ever since. It's been growing. I, I hear Dance was founded in, in 2006. Yeah. And prior to, to Dance, you set up a... You, you actually started from quite humble beginnings, from your bedroom, which, yeah. is, which is what I like to hear um, from entrepreneurs and, and founders. Could you sort of tell us or, you know, take us through that journey from selling from your bedroom through to uh-huh. running a, a company, an office and a warehouse? Um, please. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the story is back when I was in college, uh, I worked for a company called Capital One. They sell uh, credit cards and all that sort of stuff, as mm. you probably know. Uh, we were My task was to be on the phone selling people loans. And I think at that age, I decided that that probably wasn't for me. We sort of had restrictions on the toilet time and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So I was in college at the time and um, really just, I think I read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and was just, was just looking for a way to be a bit more entrepreneurial, I guess. And um, I had one of those old school sort of Windows PDA phones uh, and it had a massive glass screen. And I went online to try and find a screen protector for it. And those guys wanted the, the, the biggest um, supplier. I can't remember what they were called now, but they were selling the screen protectors for something like £12 a piece. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not paying that. <laughs> so uh, we found some suppliers in China who uh, effectively said, well, give us 50 quid and we'll give you 200. So that's exactly what we did. Uh, and I bought, brought them over. Uh, yeah, sold them online. We, I think we bought them for about 30p, sold them for 2 a piece. So we were undercutting our, our big supplier. And it sort of started from there. You know, this was in college. We turned the sort of college into a bit of a, um, the college library into a bit of a factory. Sorry to cut you short term. Yeah. You say we. Well, I always say we. At the time, it was, <laughs> well, there was sort of a we's. Uh, so it was, it was really just me. But um, in the college library, I'd, I'd sort of ask friends to lick the envelopes and all that sort of stuff and pay them per envelope and oh. to just to try and get the stamps out and uh, to get the uh, screen protectors out. So we did that. We went from uh, screen protectors to projector screens. We sold sort of golf trolleys. We just kept changing products, finding new products to add, and it grew quite a bit. Can I can I cut you short, please? Of course. How did your venture your, your entry into business affect your social life in university did you manage to still have a social life with friends or were you very keen and focused on you know building value um, as an entrepreneur i mean i was when this started i was like 16 17 mm-hmm. i didn't understand what it meant to build value build value you know it was <laughs> for me this was quite simply just i found something that sells i can undercut someone else and i'm going to sell it for as long as i can sell it i had no concept of business at that time i thought i was the world's greatest business person and i thought I was going to be the next sort of Bill Gates, but I had no concept of what it really meant uh, to build a business at that age. To me, this was just purely, you know, I found a way to, to make some money and I think I can grow it. And that's all it was at that stage. And did, did you put back the money into the business or did you, you know, um, have really nice Friday nights? Yeah, <laughs> a bit of both, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, we, we, yeah, I mean, a lot of the money went into the business. I did sort of splash out, which I re- regret. Uh, so at that age, 
uh, you know, being as silly as I was, I went out, brought myself a brand spanky's Audi, and uh, I thought that was. I, I, you know, I just didn't have any bills. I had no mortgages or anything. Absolutely. That was anything. Like, I was still living with my mum, and that was just what you do when you come across lots of money at that age. I didn't honestly. The, the concept of building something for the long term just wasn't in my head. But yeah, so the money did did go back in. So we'd, we'd sort of buy the screen protectors, make two hundred quid, put the two hundred quid back into buying more, you know, buying more products, that sort of thing. Okay, that's very interesting. So you, so when did dance bar start to emerge? Um, at what age was it? When you were eighteen, or how did it start to? When did you? What did you sell last before dance bars? Before okay. before um, before hot tops. Basically, what had happened was, uh, you know, this this was effectively an eBay business at the time. It wasn't real. I think it was about eighteen. We got to the stage where everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. So we'd bring over a new product. Somebody else would bring over that same product and undercut us. Um, and I suppose we got to a stage where we realised that, you know, we were like an online market. All the products we were selling were completely unrelated. We got to the stage where it was like we've got to pick a single product. Uh, to build this around okay. and there, I picked Hot Tools quite simply because at that time I thought you know whereas with say the screen protectors and things like that would need so much different types of stock we wouldn't know what would sell and what wouldn't with Hot Tubs, it was just you know you need a big one one in the middle and a small one mm. <laughs> just to sort of fit all the sizes so we brought in three models and, and we took it from there. But the last product we sold was steam showers. And that's sort of how we met the uh, the hot tub suppliers because the same manufacturer that made the steam showers right. also made the hot tubs. So did you test the markets? Was it was your decisions going into hot tubs based on the average order value or was it pretty much based on the margins you're likely to make? Because sometimes it would say, you know, I'll spend the same amount of time, you know, selling something that's worth, say, £10 as comp- and, you know, I could still sell something worth £1,000. Was it a way of leveraging your time? Yeah, uh, so, yeah. well, it was, it was that with the other products we saw, there was so much potential for waste, if you get what I mean. So as I say, mm-hmm. with... With all those of a product, with with the screen protectors, uh, the prime example as I mentioned earlier, we just wouldn't know what what products would sell the most. And 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 as I say, at that age, I didn't really have a concept of testing the market. It was just good, pure gut instinct kind of thing. Um, also, though, hot tubs, it just seemed like a pretty cool cool product to actually build a business around, compared to sort of screen protectors or you know uh, projector screens and all. You know, it was they were quite boring. Uh, so yeah, I did, there was there was no sort of innate love for hot tubs or anything, but it just seemed pretty cool. Absolutely, because when, when you think about hot tubs, it's all about pleasure, really yeah. relaxation. Uh, but that's exactly. what comes to your comes to subconscious. Okay, let's let's go into let's dig a little deeper. Have you got any family members or friends um, that uh, close family friends that that you looked up to while growing up as an entrepreneur? You know that that were <laughs> entrepreneurs, because um, or did it just come from, from nowhere? Yeah, I mean, quite simply, no. Well, My granddad was a, an entrepreneur of a, of a type in his day. I think he ran a printing business from downstairs in the cellar. But that was, you know, that was by no means sort of inspirational. That looked like hardcore grafting to me. But um, yeah, not really. All my family members are sort of in normal, stable jobs. My mum's an accountant. My dad's a, a yeah, does is a carpenter. Um, so yeah, no one. So, so what was their reaction when when they saw you do this in, in college? Do they well, say focus on your studies versus um, you know become an entrepreneur? Continue. Yeah, I mean at, at that age I was quite naive to be honest. I just didn't. You know, my mum's sort of aimed for. Well, I'm her first child. I would have been the first sort of grandson to go to university. So I think she oh. was pushing me down that road. Um, and she wanted me to go down that road. At first, there was a bit of you know, well, you should, you should probably go to university. But in the end, it was it, <laughs> this was always been a win. I, I was always quite a stubborn child to be fair. <laughs> 
having it my way sort of thing. So. How, 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 what was her reaction when she saw your new Audi parked in, in her driveway? Well, to be honest, by then, when she saw the sort of numbers that we were working with, because, I mean, there were times when at 17 we were bringing in a good couple of grand every week, and you know, I just thought that was going to last forever. Uh, I think she probably got sucked into the illusion at some point as well. But at that age, to be doing that kind of turnover is, is crazy. Okay. Right. Okay, let's let's look at turnovers now. Let, let's talk about turnovers. Um, so 2006, do you, do you have an idea, a rough numbers to what you're turning over in your business? To be honest, I don't think we. So I think we registered in 2006 as a business. I don't think we actually started trading officially until it was still quite a small, you know, eBay business at that Mm. point. I don't think we started trading officially until 2007. I think in our first year we did something small, like 50 grand turnover, but it grew massively. Mm. Then went from like 50 to, I think it was a couple of hundred grand, and then the year after that it was like a half a million, and then it, you know, so it got to about a million pounds within about three or four years. It was quite quick been rolling over and, and this year you're, you're well over a million pounds we're well, just over we're about 1.1 1. 1. um okay. it's been about it's it's been at about sort of 1 million for the past two two years really it's sort of ripe for okay. pushing ahead with some new ideas for, and well for our listeners in america we're talking about uh, 1.7 1.8 million dollars yeah us okay um so how many people do you currently employ just as a business employee the team's five strong at the team, moment including okay. me so we, we take the team, sorry, it's, okay. it's five people strong. Team, so okay. yeah, we've got four people that I employ, uh, okay. five if you include Fantastic. me. Fantastic. Okay, good stuff. What does a typical day look like for you? And then we'll talk about the team shortly. Uh, for me, uh, I'm up uh, quite early, check a few emails and bits and bobs from home. Uh, when I get to the office, uh, the first thing I'm at nine o'clock, I'm not. I'm not one of these guys that gets there at six o'clock, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, before everyone else. I, I work quite late, but I'm never there that early. But I am. I'm on the business early. The, the other thing is, you know, with technology, we we pretty much work. We could get up all the time, right? exactly, exactly all the time. So. You know, you don't necessarily need to, once you've got systems in place, yeah. I don't think you necessarily need to be grafting early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. I mean, once I get there, it's a case of I've got like a special tab on Safari where uh, I press that button and it opens about 50 pages. And these are literally competitors' pages, competitors' blogs, uh, competitors' Facebooks. Uh, a few search results, you know, where we just want to check our rankings or things like that. That's the first thing of every day, see what the competitors are doing uh, and then feed any info to the team sort of thing. If they've got like a special offer on, we'll try and see what we can do uh, to either match it or to, to better it. So what's the space like um, in, in the hot top market in the UK? Um, who are you competing against? Um, you don't need to mention brands, but if, yeah. you, if you do, if you feel like you, you can. Well, I will. There, there's, uh, this is a great thing about this industry. There's, there's two types of businesses really. There's, the online guys like us, um, but I suppose before about talk, before I talk about those, I talk about the, the, the sort of more traditional guys. So these are the companies like Jacuzzi, Hydropool, the big massive brands, but they sell from showrooms. You know, they don't sell online. The, the, the internet isn't a valid place for them. They, I don't think they see it as a real place to sell hot tubs from. Uh, it's very much like the car industry. So. You know, if you want to buy an Audi, you go to an Audi showroom. If you go to the website, they'll direct you to a showroom kind of thing. That's how they work. Okay. Um, and I, th- I think people, customers probably find that frustrating because they go online, they can't find any prices. They've got no idea what it costs. Uh, and then there are other guys like us. There, there's not many of us. There, there's literally a handful of uh, people who will import themselves and sell directly via the web. Uh, almost nobody sells the bigger brands um, on, on why, the internet. Why is, why is the case? Why is that the case? I think it's the way the, the brands sort of want it. I mean, because we've considered in the past bringing in a brand and selling their products, but the problem is 
they wouldn't allow us to sell it for a lower price and all that sort of stuff. Or they okay. would, you know, because we haven't got the overheads. It doesn't. It makes sense. We don't need to make as much. So, so the, do the big manufacturers tend to sell direct to to the market to to, to market, or do they have select? Um, they'll work through it. Channel, yeah, they'll work through dealers. So you know, okay. I can open up a showroom here and start selling jacuzzi hot tubs as long as there's nobody else in the area doing it. So sort of. okay, okay, um, okay. So, so it must be a quite affluent area if you, you want to sell at their price point and they're suggesting. Yeah, exactly, point. exactly. Which is probably why there's not one in Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. Next is um, really want to. So, what's your view on universities? Going to university to to be an entrepreneur. Say a fifteen-year-old comes to you um, about to go into college, and he's really thinking: um, after college, do I go to university or do I um, sort of, you know, um, take take on some risk and become an entrepreneur or learn? You know, maybe perhaps go into an um, an apprenticeship with an entrepreneur and you know, kind of learn a trade and start to to trade online. I don't think I don't think university is for everyone, but I do think you know if you want to run a business. Uh, although I haven't, I think I'd probably advise someone hands down every day <laughs> to go to university. To be honest, wow. you know you've got a long time to build businesses. You've got a long time to be entrepreneurial, and it does. It just, to me, it makes sense to go and get uh, the core education because there are a lot of things you know in business which uh, it's taken me sort of. 10 years, well, not 10 years. I think I've been doing this for about eight years now to learn, whereas other guys would have had, I mean, I, I, you know, I've learned the hard way, if you like, I've made the mistakes. And from that perspective, that knowledge is sort of ingrained in my mind, maybe in a way it wouldn't have been uh, in, in somebody who went to university's mind. But mm-hmm. certainly a lot of mistakes would have been avoided, I feel. And also, I think there's the whole networks, the people you meet, all that sort of stuff, which is, is certainly useful. So I'd advise the university route first. And, you know, there's, there's lots of time to be entrepreneurial. Well, what, what about your thoughts about, um, you know, fees and the debt people occur over over university over the term in university how yeah yeah i mean that's that's a slightly separate issue for me i think um you know one thing i wouldn't i think there is a problem in that we push everybody down the university route and i think there's an issue in that particularly in the uk people are forced to make decisions about where they want to go to university and what they want to study as as far back as gcse level and at that stage they have no idea what it really means to go to university i mean a lot of people in my year uh, that I went to school with just took a business course for the sake of doing it or because their friends were doing it. They had no real desire. So, I mean, it's like if you re- are genuinely interested in something uh, or if you're genuinely interested in being an entrepreneur and you think business is your route, in that case, certainly go to university, study it, get some, ex- uh, maybe get a few years experience and then try something. But uh, if you've got no idea what you want to do, don't feel compelled to go to okay. university. I have two more questions to follow up on that. The first question has got to do with, do you see yourself going to university at some point, given the fact I, that you recommend university? I'd love to. I mean, so I, uh, to tell you my story quickly, when, okay. when uh, we started the business, we started the business in the second year of college. And by the time I got to the end of my A-levels, I just thought, you know, college made no sense. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw, I went to the, I did the final exams. Uh, and I think I got a B in business, a D in, in maths. And uh, sorry, I got a B in business, an A in business and a B in, uh, in computing or something like that. Anyway, more of the stories. Uh, yeah, <laughs> more, more of the story is since then, I've been back to uh, not to college, but I've, I've sat uh, A-levels independently myself wow. uh, just to prepare for if one day I do want to do that. You know, I've, I've got the grades and all that sort of stuff ready to go. Uh, and I wouldn't study business, <laughs> which is probably strange. Psychology? No, I, I think I go for history. Potentially, I'm think I'm torn between history and biology. But I mean, this is like this is if you know if one day we become a millionaire or something, and I and I've got nothing to do. It's, it's that sort of. <laughs> 
plan. It's not. It's probably not something I'll be doing anytime soon. I've I've had friends who do the open university thing, but you know, you could go full time. Yeah, true. Once you got... the problem with me is I don't think I've got the willpower to stick it out unless I've actually unless I'm forced to go full somewhere time. to sit down. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> get it done, sort of thing. Okay, um, interesting. Second question has got to do with your your mates, your your friends out in college. Those who made it to university, do you catch up with them sometimes now as a business owner, managing, you know, um, a team of four, you know, turning over a million pounds? And what's their reaction when they see you and when you see them? Yeah, I think a a lot of friends are quite impressed. Um, But I mean, to be fair to them, some of those guys are doing impressive things themselves. And, you know, they're they're different routes. Those guys are employees within a business. Uh, But I mean, I've got a friend, for example, that's he's does some his business does something similar to what I do, but they've specialized in the sort of commercial side of things in the going via the sort of wholesale route. Uh, finding big supplies and he's given me some fantastic advice in, in jumping into that sort of market so uh, we, we're, we're all very useful to each other to be honest um, fantastic. The, uh, fantastic okay alright um, I think we'll move on to the next set of questions these are the mid-stage um, questions set of questions this again they're, they're very keen to, to business and I'll just go, go straight ahead I've noticed Dan, you did mention earlier about yeah. um, the fact that you decided to stock your own brand mm-hmm. um, as against manufacturers. Is it challenging? Because I, I have a, well, I work with a couple of clients that stock their own brand. And there are two things that come to mind. One is it's quite price-led. Yeah. And the other is they have to invest a lot on customer experience and um, yeah. branding and, you know, continuous awareness of um, of their product because they're up against a lot of competition um, yeah. they're not a Tesco that have that, that scale and, and mm-hmm. might and then could just maybe cross sell their products when you know they're stocking really big products you're just selling yours mm-hmm. so how do you sort of drive in quality customer service and you know the brand experience basically to potential customers mm-hmm. well the, the first thing to say really is that the hot tub industry is a, is a very unique one mm-hmm. uh, and it's unique because virtually nobody knows who a big hot tub brand is. I know because I'm in the business. But if you go and ask the average person who makes hot tubs, no one can tell you. No one's heard of hot springs or hydropool until you actually go out and start looking for a hot tub or maybe if you've seen the showroom close by. And so from that perspective, people think the brand is based upon their first impressions of what they see online, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so, so people will go to the Jacuzzi website, they'll come to our website and they'll compare the two based upon what they see. Uh, and a lot of customers think we are the brand, to be honest, because you've got Sophie Ellis Bexter on there, you've got the, the press coverage and all that sort of stuff, and you won't see any of that on the other guys' websites. And you won't, they won't, they won't sort of, um, they don't invest heavily in their websites. So the point that I'm making anyway is being a sort of new brand doesn't make a difference in this industry because no one knows who the brand is, if that makes sense. If, you, if this was the TV industry, that would be, it would be much harder to bring in uh, some imported TVs and then sell them against Sony and Panasonic, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But, but no one's heard of the credible, reputable brand in the hot tub industry. That's so, quite interesting. Um, so, so they don't really advertise well. Who, who, when do they, we actually, yeah, they don't really advertise um, their, their It just brands. isn't a big industry. They do advertise, but do. I mean, I've, ne- I've never seen them advertise. <laughs> they won't take out TV ads. They won't be on billboards anywhere. It's very tough. I mean, they'll go to like the um, the ideal home show and places like that. But yeah, as I say, we, we, we do surveys all the time. And if you ask a customer who is a hot tub brand, no one knows. People use the term jacuzzi all the time, but most people don't realize jacuzzi is just a, is just a brand name for hot tubs. And they don't realize jacuzzi is actually a brand. Wow. They just think it's a jacuzzi. I actually thought jacuzzi was... was, um, was exactly. was another name. Right. So that's quite interesting. Very, very interesting. In terms of your 
the, the brand in terms of hot tops, in terms of the fact that you know you stock. Is this theory correct? If I was a big brand, yeah. um, I'm more akin to advertise to. I'm more akin to to advertise to interior designers. Yeah. And so that's why I'll be in trade shows like Ideal. However, you're in the market where you're marketing directly to consumers who are going to use your products. Mm-hmm. Is, is that close to the reality? I don't know. The Ideal Home Show is a good place to go to just because people who are... You think you want to capture people who are really about that sort of outdoor living thing, you know, okay. and are really about spending time in the garden because that, that's where the tubs are going to be. And in terms of advertising, the bigger brands, I think the way they try and do it is... They sell to a local dealer and that local dealer sets up a showroom on a big main road, you know, an A road probably with with a big car park mm. or, or close to a garden centre. A lot of them kind of partner with garden centres. That's kind of how they get their word out. They put, I don't really see any direct advertising. Like when I say direct, I mean sort of the billboards, the uh, the TV advertisements, even mm. even online social media. Uh, I don't see a lot of the a lot of them being active and it's, it just isn't a big industry though you know whereas with cars it's a massive industry yeah, everyone, but it's yeah. i think they value the hot tub industry at something like 30 million a year so it isn't really comparison it's really tiny uh, and so we've probably already got like a three percent share of, of that market so yeah it's it's um, oh, i would have thought it was um it was um, at least several hundreds of millions of yeah it, i think in the uk it's growing massively though in france it's way more established and it's probably two or three times the size but uh, in the uk it's quite it's quite a new thing to have a hot tub particularly now the prices have come down interesting so i guess like a car when you own a hot tub you will it would break down sometimes and you'd yeah. or you'd need to you know add accessories to make it look more beautiful or different or you know yeah. uh, so from your website i can see you sell like accessories so yeah. what's the split like from a revenue standpoint, um, from accessories as compared to hot tops, how how's that split? We've got lots of work to do with that, to be honest. I mean, we we probably it's probably about eighty. I think last time we looked, it was about eighty eight percent hot tubs, about twelve percent chemicals. It's it's really small the chemical side of things. Well, I say chemicals. I I group all accessories within that with the chemicals. Um, okay. With yeah, so we we sell like chlorine kits and that they need for the hot tubs, and okay. we do all sorts really, but. We do know that there's a whole range of products we could sell alongside the hot tubs. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the outdoor furniture equipment to surround them, the gazebos, all those exactly. sorts of things. Yeah. We're not doing a lot of that at the moment. And that's some, that, that is something we're aware of and we, we're going to start pushing more, I think. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question in regards to how I actually found you the last time because I've come across articles about you two or three times in the past. Yeah. And the very last one was on um, the BBC, and uh-huh. it was about um, the value of celebrity endorsement. And yeah. um, singer Sophie Ellis Bexter is, I actually watched a video on your website and your mm. Facebook, and um, apparently she endorses the dance bars. Yeah. Can you describe the book before and after effect of our endorsement to the business as sure. well? Have you seen any impact from. Yeah, from definitely, from, definitely. Okay. I mean, I mean, we can test it sort of scientifically, if you like, but by split testing. And one thing we know is when you put Sophie uh, on the page, the bounce rates go down. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. And, but the, the main, to give you some context, when we, when we started out, the banks classed it from, we tried to get sort of a, a credit card merchant account, which most online businesses can get quite easily. You know, mm-hmm. um, We couldn't get one because the banks classed this as a high risk business. Uh, the way they saw it was 
people will buy a hot tub from you, spend as much as five grand. And it could be as long as 12 weeks before they get their hot tub, depending on, you know, sometimes we deliver them straight away, but sometimes it can be as long as 12 weeks if it's not in stock sort of thing. Um, And so the way they saw it was, well, if you go bust during that time, we're going to be responsible for tens of thousands of pounds of undelivered hot tubs. Because the money would have been in your account. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So the point that I'm making is when we first started out, we had to ask people to make their payments by bank transfer. So not only were we asking people to spend five grand without seeing us, but we were asking them to send those payments via a method of payment, which was totally unsecured. They've got no chance of clawing the money back, all that sort of thing. And so when people see Sophie's got one of our hot tubs, it just takes away some questions because before people would ask questions like, well, you know, how long have you been in business? Some people would even go as far as finding our company accounts online to see that we were actually making a profit, you know, before they bought the hot tubs from us. But once Sophie's there, it's like it just takes away some of those questions. It's like if she's got one, then you guys must be all right. It's the same with the PR, you know, it's, it's like we've got lots of articles in the BBC and then, you know, in, in pretty much every major newspaper, when people see those icons on our website, they just assume, well, you guys have been talked about in some pretty big places. You must be all right as a business. For, for all our listeners, I'm about Sophie Ellis Spexer. She's, she's, she's an English pop star. She's a vocalist, singer-songwriter. I would um, put a video about her on, on the blog post on, on 2xecommerce.com. And of course, she's our favourite. And uh, she's your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> we love her music. Dan, I want to ask you a question. When did she start, when, when did she start endorsing the brand? Uh, I can't remember now. I think it was 2011. Yes, that sounds okay. right. No, okay. Was it mid-2011 or the end of 2011? I think she got the spa in November from memory. November. Okay. So how did revenue look like in 2010 as compared to, say, 2012 or 2011, actually, as compared to 20? Because she, 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 she got it at the end of 2011 and yeah. as compared to 2012. I think 2011 was the first time we hit the £1 million mark. It, it's difficult to say... It's difficult to attribute completely the raising revenue to her because, as I say, things were growing anyway. Okay. But as, I, but I'm, and I'm certain that in some way, shape, or form, and as I say, we, we test it and we can see the difference it makes. Okay. That PR and, and safety. So, so when, when your sales, when you're speaking to to customers or potential, yeah. co- actually potential customers, does she come up in the conversation sometimes? Yes, people want the same spa that she's had. <laughs> Uh, and, and people quite simply I mean lots of people have said these very words to us if Sophie's got one you must be alright I mean I literally am quoting so <clears throat> that's the kind of impact it has it just it just kind of eases the sales process at some stage during that process if somebody's going to spend five grand without seeing you in person they're going to ask questions and it just takes away some of those questions good stuff interesting very very interesting so um well, the audience, if you're listening on celebrity endorsements, are quite important for, for this business and possibly yours. Okay, let's um, go to the next round of questions. Um, it's mostly traffic and customer acquisition. What are your number one, or what is your number one customer acquisition channel at the okay. moment? Well, um, at the moment, mainly pay-per-click. Okay. So that's our area of specialty, if you like. We probably get 90% of our leads literally that high through pay-per-click alone we don't really do very well with seo uh, or content marketing or anything like that we have just started to dibble and dabble with facebook and that's proven to be quite interesting actually because we, we're getting a lot more through that than we thought we would um sales mainly, or, mainly or engagement leads, leads okay leads yeah <laughs> we're, we're, i mean we're always interested in engagement but ultimately we want to we want to get a sale we, we, i mean we've always seen facebook as a good way to communicate with existing customers that's always been the case but in terms of driving leads 
one of the things we've tried recently is to is to, is to sort of not necessarily plaster them with with ads, but to give people sort of lifestyle shots of the hot tubs and sort of ask the question, you know, how how would this sort of sit in your garden? And then offering the chance offering them the chance to sort of request a brochure and things like that. And it's driving a lot more leads than Google's content marketing does. And, that, and that's mainly because, as you can imagine, with Facebook, we can be much more specific about who we're giving those ads to. And now that we, one of the things we've done recently is to, is to learn a lot more, you know, ask a lot more questions to our customers about who they are, why they buy. And uh, one of the things we established is that something like 80% of our customers go away on holiday twice a year. So we, we know that we're advertising okay. to that sort of person, you know, that they're living that sort of life. Stuff. And geography-wise, do are they spread out in the country? Or? They are. They are. Um, they're predominantly in the south. But I mean, it's not. It's not like it's about sort of. 30-40% at the south and then the rest are scattered everywhere. What about London? They are, they're not in London as such but they're around London. No one seems to have the space inside London to have <laughs> Sorry, But around, around London sort of the Kents, uh, the Surreys uh, you know, not central London a few people do have them in central London we had a customer recently actually who has got like a penthouse and he had one craned on top how he did that I do not know but yeah, mainly on the outskirts of London. Interesting, interesting so you know they holiday twice a Broad, twice yeah, a, yeah. yeah. What's, what's interesting Fascinating. is 80% of my customers go away on holiday more than twice a year. And 70% of those people that go away more than twice a year had previously been in a hot tub when they were on holiday. <laughs> you know, gotcha. And we get the feeling that they go away, experience the hot tub, come back and it's like, well... You know, I'd love one. And so with Facebook, you know, you can, we, this is quite weird, I think. We've not done it yet, but you can go as far as advertise to people who have just come back from holiday and say, well, you know, would you like your holiday to last forever? <laughs> that sort of <laughs> that corny like. Very, very clever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there are things you can do. And I think Facebook's got so much potential. I've just bought a few shares, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you do remarketing or retargeting with Facebook? Yes. Okay. yes. We do with both with Facebook and with Google. So you're, um, you're building your audience, you're building that that database of your intelligence, really. You're, you're building up yeah. your, your database, your audience, basically your audience database with, with AdWords and Facebook. Yeah, we, we do two things. I mean, we saw that when, when, we, when we interviewed our customers, we found out that the average customer takes between sort of three to nine months from thinking about buying a hot tub to actually buying it. And so we want to keep in touch with those people via remarketing that come to our website, you know, through Facebook keeping them on email list and all that sort of stuff. The other side of things with Facebook, though, is Facebook's recently brought out that new feature where you can store a cookie on your website and store cookie, you know, store cookies of people who come to your, your website exactly. and then advertise to people to who them. like them. Like them, exactly. So, so not exactly them, like, okay. but people who fit that mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's like an area for expanding out on who we can reach. Um, because we know the people that are getting our ads are going to be just like the people who come to our website. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's almost like the, the word I was trying to get was like, like a harvest. You're, you're basically yes. harvesting data yeah. on visits and you know, you're, you're then pushing that out into those two major channels, Google and Facebook. That's right, yeah. Very, very, very interesting. So am I right to saying that your top three customer acquisition channels will be paid, social, and then... After that, I mean, it's everything's about the same. So what we're going to do next year is we're going to tie in our content marketing, our email marketing, and probably some of our social together. So in terms of keeping in touch with those people that are going to take a while to buy, they're mm-hmm. going to be the means through which we constantly communicate with them, not via hard sort of sales emails or you know special offers per se, 
but just genuinely telling them things they want to know, you know things that they might be interested in things they should think about before buying a hot tub and all that sort of stuff I'm, I'm on your website now on your blog actually and um, I can see articles like dreaming of a hot tub here is what you need to know yeah um, so in your blog there's there's a split into four straight categories buying yeah. advice which is probably for um, potential customers latest news general news about um, stuff or the yeah. industry hot tub care for for existing customers and troubleshooting again for existing customers so you're probably going to take a lot of this repurpose it and put it up in social media and content marketing and make it definitive interesting yeah we've got some really good content we just don't make enough use of it at the moment so we we will be taking that and splashing that out via social media and but just making sure as well because some of our online content has been written by sort of SEO companies that have worked for us in the past okay. and some of it we've found to be not exactly what the customer really wants to see mm. so we'll be careful about what we want to what we want to send out sort of because you know, some of it's just some of it was written just for for search engines yeah, exactly right, for, for keywords um, search, yeah. and uh, yeah we'll repurpose it sort of okay. we'll, we'll give it some thought before we do okay interesting and then you could also I guess um, work <coughs> with the you've got fantastic data in terms of your questionnaires yeah, and uh, yeah. talking to those people as personas, as um, co- potential customers, fantastic, exactly. good stuff. Okay, um, do you do, do you still sell on eBay? Uh, we just started recently uh, okay. again, uh, so I've not really got that much experience on it. It's all changed since we used to do it a long time ago. Um, all the logos different, the, the layouts are different, but um, even the feedback system is exactly different. yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what I think of eBay. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's certainly a place to get the accessories out. I think selling the hot tubs would be would be fine for it if we can. The problem is on eBay, there's a lot more competition with sort of one man bands importing and things like that. And uh, if we're going to compete on price alone, we won't win. So you know, we'd have to be selling on. I think the person that buys from eBay. A hot tub from eBay, a new hot tub from eBay is different from the person that buys a new hot tub online. I think there's a slight difference in what they're looking for. And I, I do think they're looking for price rather than necessarily quality. Because a lot of the guys you'll buy from won't have any after-sales support, won't cover the hot tubs for more than a year, that sort of thing. Which is key, which is important because you're, you're buying a piece of machinery, <laughs> you know, and you expect it to have that support over the lifetime of the exactly. product. What about Amazon? Do you sell on Amazon? No, we don't do that either. <laughs> quite simply because their fees are quite high um, for our particular product category. I couldn't, we couldn't really make it work. Again, we, we are thinking about advertising through them, though, because they've recently brought out some uh, sort of Facebook and Google competing advertising tools where you can do a bit of remarketing through that yes. as well. It seems quite interesting. So we've just set the templates up for that, but we haven't actually sent them live yet. But it would be interesting to see uh, whether that, you know, how much traffic that can bring through to our website and whether those leads are sort of serious. Yes, I, I'm actually on, on Amazon now and I could um, see a £5,000 um, hot top on here. Mm. But um, it's one of many, all <coughs> the others are really cheap um, hot tops. They're all under £500, most of them anyway. Already okay. Right. Okay. Let's um, talk. So we, we know average order value is um, five thousand pounds. Okay. Let's talk about the customer journey. You did mention mm-hmm. that the customer journey takes between three to nine months. Yeah. Could you explain a typical customer journey? Yeah. Um, how they would have found you, the several touch points that have had before they actually give away their cash um, to. They don't give away, but they they let go of their cash to to to, yeah. to purchase a, a hot tub, please. Yeah, well, the, I think from the research we've done recently, it seems to me that our average customer has an experience in a hot tub somewhere. Uh, most of the time, that's on holiday. 
and and then because a, a lot of people don't re- a, lots of people see hot tubs as a bit as a bit of a gimmick and i think until you sort of go in it and experience how great you actually feel when you get out of it sort of thing it always seems like a bit of a gimmick but once they've had that experience it's like well this this might actually you know this is something i want in my garden sort of thing so they but they probably then go online search for it and uh, and find a few suppliers or something maybe say them to bookmarks add them on facebook or whatever i think at that stage they're really just trying to get an idea of how much it costs because mm. i think there are still perceptions that hot tubs cost you know 15 grand and i think a lot of people won't even look for that reason they just assume it's going to be way too much exactly and then it's a case of you know so, so am i right sorry for continuing shot but am i yeah. right in saying that um, you you will tend to get a lot of inquiries from August September when you know the holiday season is. Yes. Do you know what? You've only just. I've only just thought that that's probably the reason why I haven't really drawn that to <laughs> to, to holidays. It's only when you said that. That's a good point. Um, yeah, but that, that's probably right. I mean, it's mainly April through to sort of September, the busiest period being July and August. Um, or June through to August, and that, that, as you say, is the time when everyone's going to work on a holiday and probably experience on a hot tub. So that's probably the reason. But I mean, there's obviously the weather contributes massively as well. Uh, people want to do their outdoor living, if you like, during the summer. Hot tubs in this country, unfortunately, just aren't seen as a winter product, even though that you know they're traditionally from places like Canada and Finland and Norway, where they use them in freezing temperatures. Um, so yeah, it's it's during that time when we when we get most of our leads and inquiries. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to ask about um, social media influencers. Have you reached mm-hmm. out to, since you just started out in social media, are you reaching out to any social media influencers and how's that, um, if yes, how's that helping out in, in business? And not really, to be honest. Um, we've not really contacted anyone who's influential on social media. I mean, the, the thing is, our customer base is predominantly on Facebook. They're not really Twitter users. Okay. So there's not really a lot of we can do with Twitter. They're, they're all Facebook guys, really, to be honest. But fa- Facebook doesn't... I haven't seen as much sort of product endorsements via big influencers and that sort of stuff on, on Facebook as there is on Twitter and on Pinterest and all that. And uh, not Pinterest, sorry, Instagram. Um, yeah. So yeah, as, as of yet, no. Okay. All right, let's go back to the celebrity endorsement um, question. Can you sort of <coughs> break down the process for so um, a typical listener of, of yeah. the show is either a marketing manager of a multi-million pound business or a, <laughs> a founder of an e-commerce business. Now, could you break down the process of how you go about getting celebrity endorsement for your consumer brand? Because it's pretty much... Good, they're going to be really unhelpful uh, yeah. here. And I'm going to say that I have no idea. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> this is the thing. Uh, so we never, ever went out seeking a celebrity. We've never done it. We've never like tried to get in touch with anyone. It's just randomly they come to us from absolutely nowhere. And how they find us, they probably just go online and do a search. And because we dominate the online searches, that's probably how they find us. And so with Sophie, we didn't do anything. We just got a call one day from Sophie's agent who said, we've got a big client who's interested in buying a hot tub. Would you be interested in doing a deal? I said, who's the client? And he said, Sophie Lispector. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and, and it's the same recently. Alexandra Burke's about to have one of our hot tubs delivered. Wow, okay. uh, she signed up. That was, again, the same thing. We never went out seeking for them. Uh, John John Newman's about to have one John delivered. Well, uh, okay. That was a referral from Sophie Lispector. Uh, and John Barnes had one delivered this year. Now, jo- now with Dan Spars, nobody buys a hot tub online without seeing us. One day we just got an email through saying somebody spent you know, X amount of money buying a hot tub. 
uh, and he's, he just seems to be called John Barnes too. You know? so, uh, we, <laughs> Online. We, just yeah. <laughs> so we called and, and checked and yeah, it was the John Barnes, uh, England footballer. So, well, um, yeah, we don't, we never go out seeking them. I mean, the one piece of advice I would, I would say is if you do have a PR company, those guys do know how to get in touch with the agents and to sort of put the proposals to them. So that would be your, your starting point. If worse comes to worse, you can attempt to find the, um, the guys themselves, but it's just difficult because, the thing is, the guys that have come to us genuinely wanted a hot tub, uh, and they genuinely saw us as being the, the people to buy it from. They just sort of, sort of questioned whether they could get a deal in, in, the, in the process. And some guys never wanted a deal. Like, um, so now with Sophie, we were just going to sell the, the tub, which she, she requested. You know, they looked at a, a deal with Alexandra Burke. They just wanted to buy one. Um, so yeah, we sort of turned that into and, a deal. If you want. So she's going to be a face again on the website. Yeah, she'll probably sort of take the, the Sophie role for the next few years. To be honest. <laughs> What about um, um, what are your plans with John Barnes? Did he just buy it, or did you get a deal with him? He just bought it over the internet, okay. but he did give us permission to use his name. And I think there's a picture of him on, on social media. Uh, to be honest, he bought it like the week before the World Cup. And if I was, if I had more sense at the time, I should have utilised that, capitalised on that. Yes, yeah. absolutely, uh, and tried to to do something more with that. But no, it was just he just wanted a hot tub to watch the games in. Uh, it's as simple as that. And okay. so he had a TV installed and. Yeah, he, he watched it with his wife and kids in, in the hot tub, and, and that, that was just for the World Cup season. Okay, t- turning to the audience now, I think I'm going to pick up three things from here. One is being everywhere in terms of be- your visibility. So yeah. if you sell a product, you need to be visible. So when these potential celebrities are looking, or their agents are looking for what you stock, um, you're found. Um, and you, you give them that avenue to, to get in touch with them. The other is investing yeah. in a PR agency who would help you sort of knock at their doors and bridge potential relationships. And the, the last thing which I'm seeing here is a snowball effect. As a result of, of seeing Sophie, John, John Barnes, John Newman possibly mm-hmm. have said, okay, if they can have it or if Sophie owns one or has bought from you, then they could be mm-hmm. customers too. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Exactly. Okay. Do you, let's talk about, um, finally, um, your marketing. Is your marketing in, in-house or is it outsourced? Or what part of your marketing is, is, it, is retained in-house? You do a lot of pay-per-click. Do you do it in-house or do you outsource it? Yeah, pay-per-click's all me, like literally. literally wow, me. okay. SEO is outsourced. Um, socials, all this as well. Design for the so so in terms of image design and things like that, we'll outsource. Okay. But uh, but yeah, the most of it's done by us in house. It's just the SEO really that we outsource and the PR, of course. Okay, okay. And then your content marketing going forward, come twenty fifteen, is that content right? marketing? is a bit of a test for us because it's not something with as as I say we've done before. We, we want to tie it in as I mentioned with the social media with the email marketing. But initially, I think that's going to be me. Okay. I think we are looking at taking on. Uh, mid next year somebody to assist with the marketing because at the moment it, it, it literally is mostly me that does that uh, <laughs> there's only so much hours in a day and are visuals going to play a key role in your content marketing yes definitely definitely okay. Okay. we want to build some really engaging content um that, that you know really even makes customers chuckle or really gets yeah, them talking absolutely and I think in the lifestyle industry especially yes um, images really photographs aspiring photographs or you know illustrative photographs really drive the message in seconds rather than having to prowl exactly. through through articles yeah Good definitely stuff. okay let's talk real quickly about um customer retention and loyalty how important is customer service pre-sale and post-sale it's it's always important. So customer service is something we, we take seriously. And we, we always try and stress that we are going to be, we, you know, we're not like a sort of 
uh, sales trip. Well, of course we want to sell hot sauce, but we're not going to sort of hustle you down your throat hot or anything sale. like that. Or, you know, none of that sort of stuff. We always tell people that we're going to be, you know, we'll, we'll contact you from time to time, but we won't be trying to push anything down your throats. We'll just have a conversation with you. So, yeah, before sale, it's obviously very key. Very often a customer won't buy until they've resolved all of their problems or their questions. So there's questions about how it's going to be installed, who's, you know, not only are they going to have a hot tub installed, but they're also going to have to have somebody put an electrical supply in place, which we don't do. This, they're going to need access. Sometimes walls need to be taken down. And until all of those questions are solved, they ain't going to buy a hot tub. So mm-hmm. it's, we usually take it upon ourselves to kind of do the research for them. We'll go and call engineers in the local area or electricians to sort that out for them if needs be. Uh, We'll we'll get them to sort of, we'll look at the the address on Google Maps and Street View and we'll look and see what's going to be taken down and all that sort of stuff. So we'll try and do all that for them. And by the time they they buy, they've usually already had a pretty good and comprehensive uh, experience. Um, Depending on what happens from there on, you know, some customers if they order a hot tub where the colors we just don't hold in stock, they could be waiting as long as 12 weeks. So we'll keep in touch with them down the line. But yeah, customer service is key, particularly with everybody able to leave leave reviews online nowadays. Absolutely. And then um, post-sales, what what happens post-sale? How how do you keep your customers happy when, you know, um, they need some maintenance or they need supplies? Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a process. So typically, we we don't do the deliveries ourselves. It's currently outsourced to a third party. So okay. um, we'll give them a call on the day of delivery just to make sure the delivery's gone okay. Uh, we give them a call once they've had their electrician around just to take them through using their chemicals and those sorts of things. And the aim from there on, really, is just to keep in touch with them in stages. So we'll give them a call in. It's supposed to be every six months just to keep in touch, really, until the end of their warranty. And at the end of the warranty, they'll also get a call because... Uh, if they want to continue that warranty or extend it or anything like that, or just to make sure that everything's all right sort of thing. Um, How long is the typical warranty? So we cover the spas for two years as standard, and if they want to extend that, they can do to five years. Five years, okay, Um, great. So my guess is you hardly ever get repeat customers. No. For hot tubs. (laughs) If you want it to to last them for at least a decade. Um, However, from the experience from, from good customers from customer mm. experience they will refer customers mm. or you know friends and family to you is this the case are they lots of referrals um, to, uh, what, it's what not as big as you think you would really it's um and i think i mean we do get referrals oftentimes when we get a referral we might not know about it because we haven't because we've always assumed all of our leads coming via bpc okay uh, and we can kind of track that with so we have like just to step back a bit we have like a uh, one of those call tracking telephone numbers so when you call in it will let, relate that directly back to your ip session so we know where you've come from exactly. but with with referrals one of the things we know is that you know, we probably spend two or three hundred pounds uh, in advertising to get a resale, and we can. If somebody refers, that money doesn't go out, you know, via, mm-hmm. via Google or whatever. So there's probably quite a big incentive we could give to make a proper and real referral scheme, if you like, because mm-hmm. we do think that actually referrals should probably be our biggest source of sales. Now we've got two thousand customers. And they just need to know that there's a scheme. I mean, as I say, people do tell us naturally, but I think with, with a scheme in place, that will help to accelerate that too. Absolutely, absolutely. There is, I can't, there's a platform called Referral Candy. Um, it's yeah. well worth a check. It sort of helps you manage your your um, referral marketing. Yeah. And there, there are a few courses which I'll, I'll, I'll share with you after the, um, I'll send you a couple of links. Yeah, email. just drop that down. I may yeah, be Googling that as soon as we finish. <laughs> okay. The other, the, the final set of questions in regards to customer retention is, is email marketing um, yeah. helping with the growth of, of business? Yes. Well, 
I say yes. Yes. So again, it's it's one of those things we haven't taken seriously previously. But as I mentioned, we want to tie it all in with our contact marketing and, and so forth going forward. There's, there's sort of two sets of email campaigns we have. We have email addresses for prospective customers. Okay. And they're in the, we've got thousands of those now, all which we've collected quite quite well, to be honest. We recently did a campaign where we, we gave away a hot tub on social media. I saw and that on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that got sort of thousands of email addresses all from people who are in our target demographic too. Um, so, so there's that. And, and what we do with that is we, we will send out, we try and send out, as I say, informative emails rather than sales emails. But from time to time, we will send out a special offer. And la- we did a special offer about two weeks ago. And we had a massive response to that where I think we sold, uh, we sold about 12 hot tubs off the back of it. Now, if you bear in mind, usually in December, we only do about 10 or 15 hot tubs. It's really our slowest month of the year. That really was a good return on that um, on that For email. For a single email. Yes. Yeah. I, um, my podcast previous to this, was, I, I alluded to the fact that basically when you're in business, especially e-commerce, the, you reach a point of evolution, the evolution of your business where you are more or less um, an email marketing company, not yeah. in the sense of um, selling emails, um, but in the sense of actually reaching out. You Every time you send out emails basically to your database, you will you know, make money essentially. It, it is so important for e-commerce businesses. To, so initially you might be reliant on search and eventually your database will be so significant that you know, mm-hmm. you're know you pretty much just marketing to that database and then your sales engine and traffic is really driving the traffic which yeah. converts to emails and yeah. then you, you make the sales off the back of that. Yeah, I think it's one of, the, and this is what I say, I mean, it's one of those, um, I've only ever known PPC as, as, a, as a way of marketing and that. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said, that's, this is the sort of difference between somebody who's been trained in marketing and somebody who's just been making it up as they go. <laughs> as no, I, as I, it's, it's trial and error, really. Yeah. It's, it's really trial and error. I wouldn't say, you know, there are things I have, and it's testing, really. You know, you guys being out there, you're testing this. And um, the more you test, the, the more you learn. So yeah. sometimes you get really theoretic and, you know, theoretical in, in you know, when you're learning marketing, quote and unquote. And um, sometimes you're not given the opportunity to try and test it. It's really yes. set in, in yeah, your yeah. ways or your customers' ways. Another big thing of that com- or another big technology in 2014 that emerged is exit intent um, pop-ups, which I think will benefit yeah, your, your, your business immensely because you could have like a buyer's guide, yeah. you know, buyer's guide to hot tops, yes. to traffic coming into your site. So even if they don't, so if, if they want to, to, to get that guide, yeah. which is content marketing, you know, in yeah. that sense, you're tying that content marketing to email, they put in their email address and their name and then they're emailed that copy and that's you know and then they're, they're in your database yeah yeah definitely those exit pop-ups are, are fantastic we've we've seen a few of them well i've seen a few of them working on me on various websites and then i sort of inquired as to how they work and, and so forth but i think that's something we're gonna yeah. we're gonna settle quite soon actually yeah so there are two articles on, on my blog about it you could um there, there are a few technologies out there options out there which, which are um, very well worth um using and investigated so average order value let's talk about average order value and i do you have a customer review engine on on your website in your store uh sort of so we previously we just asked customers to leave reviews on third-party websites so if you google dance bars reviews there's about four or five different pages which show up and we found that's worked quite well uh, because they're all external pages they're not on our website i think 
people are sometimes mistrusting of reviews that are on an actual website. Um, what, what we've done recently, though, is we've seen uh, sort of the trust pilots and, and those sorts of things pop up recently. So we've been dibbling and dabbling with them. We tried Trustpilot. Um, I thought that was quite costly for, the, for, for what it does, to be honest. So recently we've tried um, reviews.co.uk, I think it is. We li- we've literally set that up this morning. Okay. Uh, and that's, um, that seems to be working quite well. So we're sending emails out to 250 customers. One customer seems to have had a bad experience so far. We're, we're going to have a chat with him later on today to turn him around. Absolutely. But everyone else is, is pretty happy. So, um, so, yeah, I think going forward, that would be fantastic. And I think they are, because I use them all the time. You know, if I, if I want to buy something, the first thing I'll do is go and Google what that curtain is like and what the experience has been like. I wanted to buy some Bose headphones recently and I saw a website selling them for a price that seemed too good to be true. And when I checked the website, when I checked the review, sorry, it probably was too good to be true to be honest. But I mean, we, we did a survey recently. I got the figures here. 71% of customers told us that online reviews are really important to them and were a really important factor in terms of why they chose to buy from us. And if you Google any one of our competitors and just Google their name and reviews, you just won't find anything. Even the biggest brand, as I say, Jacuzzi, they've got some reviews, but they're all negative. Mm. And so that's, that's what I mean. When people are looking for Octub Online, they've never heard of the brand. These things all just help to paint us as the brand yes. uh, to sort of buy from. Along with the celebrity endorsements, exactly. these articles, all these just, you know, they, you connect the dots and you see this yeah. is a trustworthy company yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Fascinating. 71% of customers actually, yes. I'm giving that's like a key reason. Point. That's a key reason for sort of buying promise they told us that's that's quite interesting that's a tweetable for sure okay let's talk about um sales and and revenue Um, yeah we we understand business is seasonal it starts really um about june to about september that's a hot season so your busiest period is over summer yeah largely connected to so so what do you do pretty much prior to that um say january through to, to 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 may um how how's activity over the winter and spring, uh, what what's business like um, prior to your business pairs? Yeah, what um, what tends to happen is uh, so between the sales sort of die down in, in about October November and they stay low until about February March. They get really low in December, so we we do something like a tenth of our normal monthly turnover in, in December. Mm. But then it picks straight back up again from Boxing Day because everybody's looking for sort of January sales offers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we we still sell quite a lot, so we're still active. We don't need to, like, let go of any staff or anything like that. What tends to happen, though, is uh, in our business is we have a really good summer. Sales start to slow down in the winter. I then get a bit miserable. Someone says to me once that when you're in your own business, there's never, like, and in the middle, you're always either feel like you're about to go bankrupt or you feel like you know, you're going to become the next bipolar <laughs> and I feel like that every single winter I just feel like there's going to be oh. no end to the slow season and so what happens is during the winter we tend to be very innovative we tend to come up with our best ideas for what we're going to do next year and we start mm-hmm. to put those in place because mm-hmm. so, you know you're always when sales get slow you just want to find a million ways to try and boost things and and a lot of the, the good ideas we've had this year a lot of the work we've done with social media, for example, has, mm-hmm. has come out as a result of the slowdown in sales over the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then we, ex- and then because we set it up in the winter, we sort of reap the rewards of it the following summer. And that's exactly. a cycle that happens over and over and over again. So it's just like the email you said you sent, um, which which got like twelve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Interesting. So you know, most retail businesses we would would have really fantastic Christmases of obviously because they're they're on the consumer side and um this is more lifestyle. So final set of questions. 
You're currently 1 million plus. Yep. How do you intend to hit the 5 million pound milestone? It's, uh, it's going to be tough. Um, but uh, the, the biggest areas of growth for us, I think we can, we can still do a lot more with the existing business as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the main plans for us are to, to grow uh, internationally. So uh, we know the French market's bigger than ours. We know the French market lacks competition online. So we want to come in and do the same thing that we've been doing here. We'll find, we'll try and this will, we'll have to go out and try and find some celebrities and, and get some PR over there to endorse the brand. Are you going to have to have a French website or would, would you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll have a French website. Apparently, somebody gave me some advice once and said that the French are probably the only guys in Europe where you know, if you want to sell to them, you've got to do everything their way. (laughs) And uh, whereas if if you're selling to sort of Holland, they're more than happy to sort of buy from an English website. Somebody said, in fact, that the uh, the biggest e-commerce website in Denmark is amazon.co.uk. Right. (laughs) So that gives you an idea. Uh, um, France, Holland, uh, Germany, we want to slowly press into selling in those countries. And uh, so that's one side of things. We think that's quite a big big area for us and the we, we did dibble and dabble with france a long time ago when we did it accounted for 20 percent of our turnover but um the, the, we stopped doing it because we again it was i was very young at the time and sales started to slow down in both countries during the recession period mm-hmm. and i just thought the best thing to do was to stop dealing with france because i didn't i didn't i couldn't you know listen to sales calls and you know understand what my french colleague was saying to Right. people or anything like that. I didn't know whether it was her or whether it was, you know, the, just the general economic climate or what. I couldn't tell. So we cut that off, focused on the UK, built it back up again and then, you know, decided, well, we've got to the stage now where I think it's time to give it a go again. The other side of growth uh, is going to come from a sort of wholesale side of things. So we know that one of the, the main things that stops sort of garden centres and organisations like that from selling the hot tubs themselves mm-hmm. is that they see the hot tub as one, they don't want to have to stock it mm-hmm. because it's going to take up loads of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, you know, they're going to, they don't want to do the whole sort of installation side of things. They just want to sell you something off a shelf, ultimately. They don't want to have to send people out and, and do the and delivery. Ask to service. Yeah. So we're proposing a side of the business that will store the hot tubs, stock the hot tubs. You have one or two in your warehouse as a, as a sort of showroom or wherever you, you trade from. And we'll take things, we'll deliver, we'll install. And so far we've seen, some pretty decent success with that. So we're going to start working with... Um, Have you uh, tested with a couple of garden centres yet? Or? Well, not, not with a garden centre. There's a, it's a, there's a chap that um, sells awnings. He's got a pretty good business selling awnings and, and uh, mm. gazebos and garden sheds and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And he's getting asked for hot tubs all the time. And often he'll be providing those services to sit over a hot tub. So he wants to sell hot tubs himself. And we're going to be, he's going to, he's going to create a showroom next year with three hot tubs and we're going to be providing those for him. Uh, but we want to go out and seek more people like that who, you know, who, they don't have to be garden centers, but organizations who are in that sort of business. Because ultimately, I do think with hot tubs, you know, we, I think something like 90% of people who buy a hot tub have actually been in one before. And unless you've been in a hot tub or seen a hot tub, you've come across one somewhere, you're not going to think about buying one sort of thing. And so we've got to get in people's faces, really. I think that's that's going to be an area for a big area for growth. Right. So to, I love a second growth. The, the cross border France EU yep. is a no brainer. Yep. Definitely 
go for it. Um, previous um, guests have gone for it and they've seen success and they're growing and they're, they're achieving that some of them moved to America. But the second one is a fantastic idea yeah. in regards to expanding your tentacles, get into the offline yeah. world yeah. and, you know, going for that omni-channel experience with, yeah. with your potential customers and looking for these people who have a footprint in, in the physical world to, to, to actually distribute and, you know, showcase your, your products. Exactly. That is, is that has massive opportunity, especially when you roll it out nationwide, because you know there would be a sale every other day. Um, yeah. and, at, and at times where we can't provide them ourselves. I mean, the guys that uh, are working, um, we're going to be working with in Essex. These guys think they're probably going to be able to sell somewhere in the region of five to ten a month. Now, on a, on a good month, we usually do about thirty hot tubs. So, if we can do ten more via one retailer. You know, the potential for growth, growth for is, just is one exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we can find a few of those around the country, it may work out that we're selling more via, and, uh, which and what, is probably going to be the case. And what you probably find out is the fact that people are experiencing this, you know, face to face, they're going to search more. Yeah, I mean, one thing I forgot to mention our research shows sorry, the reason we're branching out into this mm. is because. Our research shows that 75% of the people that come to our website say they will not buy a hot tub without seeing one in person. And at the moment, people aren't seeing them in person. Because you can't, we don't have a showroom or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, we, we, we've just started at like a small warehouse here where we've got a few tubs in, but it's not. Most of our customers are too far to come and see us. So, you know, getting in stores and getting in places where people can actually see these, even if it's just for the sake of boosting those sales where people come to us online, we'll, we'll do will do good things for us, I think. Fantastic. I love the numbers and the stats and the data-backed um, stats. Because you're, you're very data-driven, which is fantastic. Going back to, to the international sales, um, I came across articles where, where you sold in Bulgaria, the Middle East, and even Ghana. Um, yeah. what, what other countries have you sold? Yeah, we love Ghana at the moment. I went there earlier last year, yeah. um, but uh, not for hot tubs. Well, sorry, earlier this year. But last year, no, it was 2010, in fact. Somebody rang us randomly out of the blue. They were a British company working on a big tower project in a... I think they found, like, an, an oil... I think they it's found oil in, in Ghana, Ghana, yes. Yeah. And there's a bit of an oil village that's growing. And somebody wants to build a, build a skyscraper with 12 floors and a, and a hot tub on every floor. And they came to us and says, well, can you supply the 12? We said, of course we can. And in Jordan... Uh, we didn't win this one, but it was a similar thing. Somebody was building a skyscraper. They wanted to build, they wanted to build hot tubs in, and we sent them a proposal. And I, I love that sort of stuff. I love getting involved in that kind of thing. So there's probably room for growth also in terms of going out and finding those big markets. Because the developing world is, you know, it's particularly the Brit nations, the Brazils, the Russians, the Indias, yes. parts of Africa. There's so much opportunity in places like that. And at the moment, I'm not entirely sure on how to tap into it. But uh, but yeah, that. They just come to us from nowhere. The other sales we've had around the world have been in France. So as I mentioned, we used to sell there before. We've probably got about 100 hot tubs scattered around France. And Bulgaria was just a random, uh, say, a British customer who wanted a hot tub but didn't want to buy one from <laughs> Bulgaria. So he contacted us instead. Not bad. It just shows the comp- the, the, the opportunity out there from, yeah. from, from an international standpoint. Yeah. Okay. Um, final, final set of questions because um, we're, we're this fantastic interview, by the way, one out to 10 minutes, but, but it's been very, <laughs> very, 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 sorry for taking too much of your time. No what, what does e-commerce success mean to you, Dan? Um, I think it's going to look differently for everyone. I mean, for us, we, we, I mean, we are obviously an e-commerce business. We just look at ourselves as a hot tub business though. And, you know, for us, success is selling our hot tubs. We, as I say, we want to be the brand. 
responsible for bringing hot tubs to the masses. So we ultimately want to be the biggest brand out there. Okay. Uh, we want to be the one that people think of when they when they want to buy a hot tub. Because, because as I said, I don't think that brand exists yet in the UK. Nobody knows who that is. So we want to be that brand. Uh, and that's that will be success for us when we get to that place where when you want to buy a hot tub, the name you've got in your head is a Dan Spa. Top in mind, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, there's a, there's a financial element. We do want to make money. We want to grow. We want to be able to, you know, have opportunities for, for staff and things like that so we're at a stage where people can go grow into new roles and things like that and and as an organization that will happen inevitably we're five strong at the moment we're gonna probably gonna do all that over the course of the next year it looks interesting times ahead best wish you the, the very best of luck and with, with your thank you with, with with your brand building your brand really um, i think that's a core really welcome yeah okay so to entrepreneurs listening on and um, listening to the show or you know marketing experts listening what's the your one piece of well, your one marketing channel you'd suggest or recommend to them to take really seriously if you're an e-commerce business and you're selling products actual products on the internet then i think that you've got to take ppc seriously i didn't in the early years i just thought it was you know in the early years i just thought We've got to get up in the search engines via SEO so we don't have to spend as much on PPC. <laughs> what PPC really is its own channel in itself, which needs to be dealt with completely separately. So, yeah, there's that. And, and I mean, I, I know you said one channel, but I've got to say it because I didn't take social media seriously until recently. And it's it's really doing some good things for us. So the only thing is with social, you really do need to understand who your customer is before you start going out and advertising. Otherwise, it's just, it's no different from advertising anywhere else. You've got to know who you're advertising to and speak on their level, you know, okay. uh, exactly how they want to be spoken. So how do you, do you, so in, in an e-commerce context, there's a lot of debate now as to how long Google is going to last as, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> yeah. the, the major customer acquisition channel versus Facebook. What, what's your take on, on, on that? I think Google's got a while, but I mean, the thing is, when it comes in terms of search marketing, until Facebook decide to make their own uh, search engine, which they probably will do at some point, Mm -hmm. then Google's going to remain the dominant force for that. But in terms of content marketing, I have no desire anymore to advertise on Google AdWords. Mm -hmm. Sorry, uh, on uh, yeah, on Google AdWords because uh, the Google content. Google's guesses about who you are as a person are, are flawed in many ways. I mean, if you go online and Google's got that thing where you can sign into your own account and look at the way they describe you, apparently I'm into all sorts of weird things. I like Star Wars. I'm into karate. Uh, and that's what Google thinks about you. And, and, and those assumptions are flawed. Whereas with Facebook, you know that what Google, what Facebook thinks about you is probably very true because you told them. You told them. Yourself. <laughs> exactly. And so from that perspective, as far as content marketing is concerned or display marketing and that most sorts of things the method for that is going to be is always going to be facebook because i know for every penny i spend that's going to be going to somebody who's probably very probably my ideal customer whereas on google you know there's not they're just not and so yeah i think um I definitely think it's really important for e-commerce guys to be in tune with all of the kind of new developments because if you do make Google your sole means for for, for, for gaining leads, as we've done in the past, then when when Google does start to slow down, you're also going to start to slow down. Um, so certainly, yeah, take, take them all seriously. Absolutely. We're leaving a lot of money on the table if you don't. Um, yeah. Eric Smith, Google's chairman now, said there was one, if there was one mistake they made, they, they didn't go to social you know, yeah. um, earlier on, and yeah. um, it's just exactly what you said in regards to the fact that um, Google 
doesn't seem to have an accurate reflection of um, of its users, basically. And in, in yeah, I think the big base. decider will be how well Facebook implements search. I mean, they seem to be taking it seriously. They brought out uh, graph search, and uh, everyone knows. Apparently, that you can now search on. through through your your messages now. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's the thing is Facebook's really got so much potential for for more streams of revenue from people like me. I mean, I'm. I'm prepared to give them money to get to my target customer, you know, uh, and I'm just not prepared to do that with. So, so as I say, if, if somebody's typing in hot tubs on Google, sure, I'll give, I'll pay Google for that. But if in terms of advertising to random people around the web, no chance. No uh, we're pulling back on that. <laughs> okay. Any books, tools, or resources you'd um, recommend for, for online retailers? Uh, books. I, I mean, I read a bunch of, business books the lean startup is is a fantastic book that mm. i'd recommend everybody read yeah. there's a design book i can't remember what it's called <laughs> if i find that i'll send it to you you can put it in the show notes okay. uh, but there's a there's a great design book that you really ought to read if you're thinking of uh of um i think it's called simply usable or something like that like, if you're thinking of um you know redesigning a website but on, i can't remember uh, on the whole, though, I tend to read a lot of non-business related books. I think it's very important, you know, you do that as a, as a business person. I read a lot of history. I read a lot of um, uh, of those. Sort. I don't read many novels, but, but a lot of history I do tend to read upon. What kind uh, of history? Well, I'm currently reading uh, British history at the moment. So it's a book by um, Sharma, Simon Sharma. He's a great historian. Uh, went to Cambridge and has written a few books on the British history. And his, mm. the book I'm reading at the moment covers the period sort of from the Tudors up to when England, or when Britain rather, had the war, the independence war with America. And it's just, you know, these are things I didn't know about before and it kind of puts a lot of things in terms of the way we live now into Context, perspective. Yes, yeah. uh, and, I, you know, I think you're, the more you know about people and what drives them and what motivates them, the more you can, you'll do a better job of sort of selling to them in a way that, that works for them. So, uh, so, yeah, it's always good to have a wide... History, wide psychology, actually, you know, help build that profile and uh, yeah. Yeah, context. Okay, before you say a goodbye, could you give listeners one parting piece, well, not, not necessarily a parting, one parting piece of advice and then um, let them know how they could find you and reach you online the easiest way? Sure. Uh, well, it turns out you can find me. I'll go for that first. I'm on Twitter. I think my uh, okay. handle is Daniel L.J. Thomas. Okay. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Thomas. And of course, if you want to buy a hot topic, it's dans.co.uk. And um, yeah, in terms of one piece of advice, uh, my grandma said to me very early on in my naive days, she just simply said, climb the ladder one step at a time. And I think that's probably been one of the most useful sort of things to remember that, you know, you can, you are one person, you can only do so many things at once. Mm-hmm. So take it easy you know do one step it literally is one step at a time if you try to do everything at once uh, you probably will fail to be fair uh, but one step at a time is the way thank you so much dan for being part of the show it's been an immense pleasure having you on and, it's been a pleasure uh, yes best of luck going forward thank you so you much too. thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the 2x e-commerce podcast show if you enjoyed listening to the show Please support us by leaving a review on iTunes to help improve the show's rankings. See you next time.